70 through 72. Psalm 78, 70 through 72 says, He chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes, great with young. He brought him to feed Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And I want to take a few minutes tonight and talk about the spirit of the servant, the spirit of the servant. Lord Jesus, have your way tonight. Thank you for everybody that's here. With your anointing, your authority, speak through me and use me as your vessel and your voice. And I pray, get me out of the way tonight. Help somebody tonight, Lord, in serving the kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I feel bad you're all standing and I'm sitting down. Usually it's the other way around when you're preaching. Uh, throughout the Bible, a lot of people that we would refer to as our heroes were often servants. In fact, the Bible calls them servants. People like Abraham was called the servant of the Lord, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Joseph, Elijah, Elisha, Nehemiah, Job. Paul even breaks onto the scene with his first writing in Romans and said, I'm Paul, the servant of the Lord. And uh Christ. And James was called the servant of the Lord. Peter was called a servant of the Lord. Jude was called the servant of the Lord. And even Jesus was described as the servant because the Bible said that he took upon the form of a servant, which made in the likeness of man. The word servant is in your Bible 460 times. And just to give you an idea of how important that is to God, the word prophet is only in your Bible 227 times. So over double the amount of times the word servant is mentioned than the word prophet. So understanding that servanthood is very important in the kingdom of God, uh, there's a difference in being involved in church and being committed to the church. One author said uh, it's kind of like a plate of ham and eggs. You see a plate of ham and eggs, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed because the pig obviously died for that. There's a difference in just being involved in church and truly being committed to your church serving all of your heart. Let me just say this. I'm learning quickly that you do not stay where you do not serve. You do not stay in a church that you do not serve in. Uh, there's just something about serving that, that connects you and keeps you uh, involved and committed to what God is doing. Let me show you how important serving is and give you some maybe misconceptions about servanthood before we get into church growth. Uh, Psalms 100 said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. In other words, before it mentions singing to him, it's mentioned serving him. So if you sing and you do not serve, you should not be singing. You want to be on the platform, but you do not want to help in any church work day. You do not belong on the platform. That's Bible. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. Then, And so your gifting is not you serving. You're, if you are a great preacher, that's not you serving. That's your gifting. If you're, if you're a great singer, that's not your servanthood. That's your gifting. Serving is you lowering yourself from your natural giftings and abilities and doing something that is beneath you. That is serving the kingdom of God. 
So if you're an incredible teacher and you teach class, that's not you serving. That's you operating in your gifting. You serving would be going and picking someone up for church when you're really rushing to get things done for your lesson. That is serving. It's, it's something beneath who you are. Serving is not something you only do publicly. If you only serve publicly, you are not a servant. You are a competitor. You are doing things to get people's attention and reveal that you're actually competing. This is why competitors are the most dangerous people in church, because they only serve when someone in authority is watching. They only serve when they're going to be recognized. And if you're in authority, you better be careful because people that are acting like servants when they're really competitors, when they get done washing their competition away, will come for your job next because that's what a competitor does. And so he poses as a servant. A servant does not just serve publicly. A servant serves privately more than any other place. They're doing things beyond what they're supposed to do. If you only serve people that are above you, you are not a servant. Paul said to esteem others higher than ourselves. It didn't say esteem the preachers, esteem the pastors. It said esteem others. So if somebody comes to church in the body, gets the Holy Ghost, and gets baptized, that you might be more experienced. But Paul said you ought to esteem them higher than yourself if they're in the body. That's just the writing in the Bible. It's very powerful to start viewing people as closer to God than you are, even if you are more experienced than they are. Servants look for places to commit. Ser servants are always serving before they're called, before they've got a position, before they're anointed, before they're recognized, and before they're empowered. A servant is always doing something before they get recognized. David will be watching the sheep well before he's ever noticed as king of Israel. He will be serving behind the scenes. And by the way, if you want to get the spirit of Jezebel out of your church, a king can't do it. A prophet can't do it. A captain can't do it. But servants can remove spirits. Oh, shut up. Servants can remove spirits from your church. Servants can remove strongholds. A servant has a mentality. I want to serve the king. I want to serve my pastor. I want to serve my brother and my sister. And if there's somebody attacking leadership, a servant will deal with it. A servant will get rid of the spirit. Don't tell me you're a servant if you only live to fight for yourself. A servant defends the church. A servant defends his pastor and pastor's wife. Servants never say these words, I'm not being fed. The servants don't show up to receive, they show up to give every single time. And if you're worried about being fed, you just revealed that you are not a servant because you're there to receive something and you're still a baby in the spirit and need to be coddled. But sooner or later, you have to grow up and say, I'm not here to get a word today. I'm here to help someone today. That's what a servant does. That's how a servant becomes great in the kingdom of God. David showed up in our Bible on the battlefield to serve. He did not show up to fight Goliath. He did not show up to impress Saul. He showed up to give cheese and corn 
to the guys because you know guys like cheese and so he's going to give cheese to the guys because that's what guys like to eat if you're a guy and you don't like cheese something's wrong with you and David said I'm taking cheese to the guys I'm going to serve the guys and God said I can use a servant in ways he never or she never imagines because if you show up to serve there'll always be something you do beyond what you thought you are going to do because the servant will be used in greater levels than what they dreamed of being used in. Here's a good one. David, when he got there, started telling Saul, uh, thy servant did this. Thy servant killed a bear. Thy servant killed a lion. But before he started talking about his servanthood, the Bible said he shouted for the battle. Most of us shout for the victory. Servants shout for the fight. People that want to be recognized shout when they get a prayer answered. But servants shout for the chance to fight the enemy for their church. Servants shout, well, the devil's fighting us. Well, good. I can't wait to get in the prayer room. I can't wait to get on fire. Pastor's being attacked. I can't wait to stand up and help him preach Wednesday night. Why? Because a servant shouts because there's a fight, not because there's a victory. You, If you only shout for the victory, it's because you know you've got spoils coming to you. You've got rewards coming to you. But a servant shouts for the opportunity to be involved in the battle. I'm not, I don't have to have a position. I don't have to be on the platform every service. I don't need a microphone every, I get to be in this church. I get to be involved in this church. I get to hold a sign. I get to shake somebody's hand at the door. I get to take up the offering. Whatever it is, I shout for the fight, not the victory. And so David said, hey, Saul, the reason I think I should be able to kill or fight Goliath is because thy servant killed a lion. I, I, I kill things privately. Let me just, I'm going to tell you what I wrote down. If you're mad because you don't get to fight Goliath, it's because you've not dealt with a lion somewhere privately. If you're mad because you don't get public recognition, there's private consecration that you've not dealt with yet. And David said, here's why I can, I can go fight him. I've killed things in the past that I, that's, came against me. I've destroyed things that no one knew about, and I'm still your servant. He didn't say I'm a servant of God. He said, I'm your servant, Saul. If you want favor in the church, be a servant of the leadership of the church. Well, pastor needs to recognize my gifting. No, pastor needs to recognize you show up early and pray. Pastor needs to recognize you show up to serve on work day. These are things that will connect you to the faith. There are some actions that you can take that will give you favor in church, favor at your job, favor at school. And servanthood is the biggest one. When I, when I look for things, people to use, people to preach, I always choose the servants because the servants deserve the platform. The servants deserve to be heard because they put the work in behind the scenes. I don't need to hear prima donnas that want to impress me with their gifting. I don't care how gifted you are. If you cannot clean the toilet, you do not deserve a microphone to be able to tell everybody what they need to do to go to heaven. Hmm. Servants defend the kingdom. When Goliath started talking trash about David's God and David's people, David didn't sit there quietly and say, well, I I don't agree with him, but I hope I just better just keep that opinion to myself. Servants defend the church. 
You, if you are letting someone talk to you negatively about the church or about your pastor or pastor's wife, you are not a servant. You are swayed. You are double-minded. You can be influenced and pulled in any direction. You are unstable. But a servant says, you don't talk about that. You don't go there with me. We're, we're fine until you jab my church. I don't care what relationship I lose in the church or out of the church. When you start blasting the church, blasting my pastor, blasting my authority, you and I are done in the relationship because the servant defends the people. Period. Servants don't need swords. Say, David didn't show up with swords. He showed up to serve. Servants always get the swords when the battle is over. Servants get the weapons that were used against them, and they take those weapons and use them in their future. When the enemy attacks a servant with depression, the servant wins the battle and then delivers others from depression. When the servant attack with anxiety. They don't just survive the anxiety. The servant delivers others from anxiety. You get Goliath's sword. You deliver other people when you show up to be a servant. You may not think anyone knows your name, but when you walk up to serve the church and you pray for somebody in the altar, they're going to feel the power of God because a servant prayed for them. And if a servant ever prays for you, something powerful is going to happen in your life, okay? Now, servants, first of all, have to be recruited, unfortunately, in 2023. Uh, for churches to grow, we have to go beyond the 2080 rule where 20% do everything. So we need to start recruiting servants. So if you want to serve in the church, start doing something before you get acknowledged. I'm not saying do something crazy. I'm not saying I need to come up before church and do something insane. I'm talking about doing something that's beneficial to the church will get you connected to the church, okay? So David served before. So recruitment is essential. We have to start recruiting servants. Just a week and a half ago, I did what we call a ministry fair on Sunday after church. We had tables set up all over the church. And you could sign up to serve in the sound booth, serve on the greeting team, serve as an usher, serve in, um, taking pictures. We found things. You have to find things for service. Because let me just say this. If you can do it all yourself, that does not make you a good leader. A good leader, even though he can do it himself or she can do it herself, knows how to teach someone and train someone so they can do it also. Leadership is not your gifting. Leadership is in your following. People following and doing what you train them to do. That makes you a leader. Just because you're gifted does not make you a leader. Uh, I know it's we got a lot of people, I can do it all myself. But just because you can do it all yourself doesn't mean you should do it all yourself. Lowering the ceiling of the capacity of your department in the church if you do everything yourself. You might be the best Sunday school teacher, the best youth pastor, the best hyphen director. I don't care. But if you think, well, it's all on my shoulders, you're going to have a small hyphen group or a small youth group or a small Sunday school class. 
You have to learn to find servants. Shut up. You have to learn to find people that will serve along with you. And guess what? The bigger your team and leadership is, the more people will come and be underneath you. You can only lead so many people doing everything yourself. I'm watching the, the groups in our church. Some are growing and some are not. And the ones that are growing have a team concept. Yes, there's a leader. Yes, someone's in charge. Someone's directing it. But they have, they're smart enough, believe it or not, to have people around them that can do things that, so they don't have to do everything. Just because you can do it all does not mean you have to do it all. That's a spirit of control, not leadership. Control says, I do it all. Listen to what I say. I'm over all this. And because I'm over it, I'm going to make sure no one gets to do anything besides me. Welcome to a small group underneath you. Because you cannot lead and control at the same time. You cannot grow and control at the same time. Growth happens when you develop servants underneath you. And then you do things only you can do. And then let them do the rest. There's something only you can do, and therefore that is what you do. But if there's other things in your department that others can do, would you not be an egomaniac, narcissistic leader and say, you know what, I'm going to trust somebody to do it. They may not do it exactly like I would do it, but guess what? If they don't do it exactly like you would do it, that's not on them. That's on your lack of training. That's on your lack of developing them. Well, they, I would do it, but they just don't do it right. They don't do it how I want to do it. Have you spent time? Have you, because the leader stands there over and over and over until the servant knows how to, somebody taught David to throw a rock. I don't know if it was David's brother or David's dad or some other shepherd, but someone sat there and said, nope, spin it over and over. Nope, no, nope, we got to spin it this Someone trained him. We don't even know who that person was. But David went out and used that training and destroyed giants, lions, bears, Philistine enemies because a servant doesn't care about the glory. Just help me develop the training. So recruiting them, training them, enlisting them. You have to trust to grow. You cannot grow if you don't trust anything. Trust is essential for growth. It is essential for growth. No matter what I think, I have to trust people. Now, if it's, if it's hitting a dead end over and over and over, we, we will make adjustments. Let me give you for example. We were having outreach every Saturday, 10 o'clock, 25 people, 28 people. Then when it started dipping to 15 to 18 people, I said, wait a second. What's up? People are getting weary. People are getting tired. We're doing the same thing. The same people are showing up. The same people are not showing up. You know who you are. The, the ones that show up, you know, and the ones that you hear the preacher, you hear the teaching, you know there's outreach and you still don't come. And you're in the room right now and I'm talking to you. And I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. You don't come because you're above that. The truth is you're afraid to knock doors because you're afraid of confrontation. And but your pride says, well, I'm busy. You're not busy. You're just afraid to do it. Anyway, that's off the subject. But we were losing, we were losing the, the group. And so I said, God, give me a strategy to where we can make an adjustment and, and engage more people in outreach. And I went to a, 
a kids Bible quizzing deal down the road. Our district's doing it. My, my kids have some friends that were in it and they wanted to go see their buddies. So we went over there and a pastor friend of mine was there and I sat down. He said, he said, where'd you do that? I said, we just got done with outreach. He said, man, let me tell you about this idea I had. I said, okay. And he started telling me about how for two years straight, they knocked every door in the city, same group of people in his church, same small group, every Saturday, through two or three streets, they knocked it. And he said, they, we wore them out. He said, we didn't get one person from that. We, we, two years, every door once a year was knocked, at least in our town, and no one came. He said, and it dawned on me, we are not engaging our people on Sunday. And so he said, I started doing something once a month. On one Sunday a month, I stopped church halfway through it. I have a bowl full of names, of pieces of paper with the street names in our town. I said, okay, it's time for outreach. I want everyone, every family to come get one name of one street. And he said, now the entire church is being pressured to engage. And he said, so all of our church would come up, grab a street name. And before lunch, before you go eat at the restaurant, go to that one street and you just hand out the flyers, knock those doors, 10 or 12 doors. He said, we went from knocking two streets to 80 streets in one day. And he said, we went from 450 to 650 people in one year when our entire church became servants in outreach versus one little group doing it. We do that once a month. So I took that home. And I started praying about it. And God gave me this little strategy, which we are implementing this Sunday. The first Sunday of the month, we are doing the family outreach. Everyone picks the street. Everyone before lunch, they go, they hand out the, the 10 flyers, they, they do whatever they have to do, and it's it's so quick, it's so easy, boom. The second weekend is what we're going to call social media outreach. The church is going to post something, and then Wednesday night, from Wednesday to Sunday, we're asking the whole church to send it out over and over and over and over. The third week of the month, we're going to call it iReach. On Wednesday night, middle of church, we stop the whole service, everyone get your phones out, Text someone right now and invite them to church Sunday. Someone that's not here tonight. Someone that hasn't been here in weeks. Look around. Who's not here? Text someone right now. That's going to be a huge, by the way, key of getting people to church. And the fourth one is the mail out, where we're going to send out flyers to different zip codes in the city. Fourth week of every month. That little strategy right there, you would think, well, that's a, you watch what's going to happen in it. There's going to be incredible growth in it because the church is going to be completely engaged in it versus a few servants working their tails off every Saturday at two or three streets. You have to that may not be the strategy at Palmer, but there but you have to think outside the box. If we only have a few servants doing this, how can we engage everyone else? Because if you're going to get to 500 you're not going to do it with 40 people serving. You have to have 150 people serving, 180 people serving, and finding things for them to do. We normally have one couple and two teenage girls that show up every service to greet. But when we had that ministry fair last weekend, this last week we had 10 greeters outside. People that never had held a sign before, out in the parking lot, waving to people driving by. Excitement was all over the church. Why? They're just holding a sign, but they're finding a way to serve. Leaders, hear me. Leaders, hear me. You've got to find a way for your group to serve. You've got to find things. Don't just have comfort stuff every time. Well, we're just going to hang out at the house 
and we're all just going to sit here and eat and we're going to joke and talk. That's awesome. But sooner or later, we're going to start training them, take them to the streets, take them somewhere, develop their skills so that they can start working in the kingdom and developing something. You know, sometimes I think, well, no one would want to do this, so I'm going to do this. And the truth is the exact opposite. The thing I dread doing, someone is anointed to do. Someone is passionate to do. There's, I, I do not want to go to the sound booth and try to figure out the screen. No, thank you. I, I would rather, you know, anything. I'd rather face a shark in the water. There's, there's no, that is, that's a nightmare to me. But there are people in the church that are like, really? We can help here? Yes. You know, it doesn't need to be the same two people every service in the sound booth or the same because you you are wearing out. You have to train other people, develop them. And guess what? It, it renews other people. It strengthens people and then it looses people to be a part of the church. Someone shows up to church. They may not have the standards they may not have the doctrine right. They may not. They may need a Bible study. They may be as green as a cucumber, but they can do something. Mm. Order some signs if you don't even have them. We can give you the link. Order some signs. Have people in your parking lot, people at the edge of the road on Sunday morning saying, you're welcome here. Welcome home. You look great today. You can find somewhere for somebody to serve. And guess what? If the, if the servant, if the, if the new convert feels that I am needed, they're going to be more faithful. The people that are faithful in our church have an obligation at church services. The people that have to serve on the usher team, have to serve on security, have to open the doors, have to hold the sign, have to sing, have to set up a setup crew. We have, you guys... This, I'm, I mean, you're blessed. I hope you know how, know how blessed you are. We have to, every Sunday morning at seven o'clock, I am at the church setting up the platform, pulpit, drum set, piano, carrying it all out there at seven o'clock in the morning because we only get to rent it Sunday morning and Wednesday night. You don't have to deal with that. But we have, I thought, you know what? We need a setup crew. We have a couple people that do this every Sunday with me. And so I said, we had a setup crew and uh, invitation. People signed up for that. Last Sunday morning, we had 10 people setting up at seven o'clock in the morning. Those guys showed up. They were sweaty. They were tired. Their hair was everywhere. They looked crazy. I was like, dear Lord. But you know what? I was so thankful. Like, these guys, Church was in for four hours, and they're there four hours early saying, Let's let, what can I do to be involved in the church? That is the spirit of a servant. You don't need that. You don't need someone to set the platform up four hours before church. But there might be stuff to do two hours before church that you could show up. You could vacuum the floor. You could make sure the bathrooms are clean. You could do whatever you have to do. You could help park cars. You could do donuts. I'm sure you do. You guys do all this stuff. But there's a lot of things you can do to engage the church. And the more engaged they are, the more they're going to be faithful. And the more faithful they are, the more God's going to entrust you with more people to take their place as the baby on the pew that's there to be fed. And now you've got servants and soldiers and the babies. And so now you take those servants, you turn them into soldiers, soldiers train the babies, and it's a cycle going back and forth. And that's how you become 
massive. And you are doing it, and you have a great crowd there. But I want to encourage people. You can find something to do at the church if you really want to. We had girls trying to sign up for security Sunday. I had to say, no, we don't need a girl. No offense to the ladies. Don't get all mad. But, you know, we know if some terrorist comes in, or I don't need you, you know, trying to tase him with your little, you know, zebra stripe taser. We, we, we need, you know, we need some dudes to be in, in the back. You, you can find some. But I was so thankful. Even we had kids that were 12 years old saying, can I please sign up, Pastor? For, is there anything I can do? I know I'm only 12 years old. But is there something I can do for the church? That's what I'm, and this kid's been in church two months. Got the Holy Ghost two months ago. And he's sitting there going, Pastor, can I help? And so what I did, I just created a little armor bearer team. I got my boys that are seven and nine. I got a 10-year-old kid, a 12-year-old boy, and every service they rotate, and they take my Bible to the pulpit. They take my iPad. They said that they turn the speakers toward me. They're seven years old, but I'm teaching them serve, serve, serve. My boys go to the church at seven o'clock Sunday morning, and they're carrying stuff out there, and it's it's too heavy for them, and I'm having to you know they're bumping into walls, and but they're I'm I'm not I'm trying to teach them. It's not about the piano. It's not about getting in the microphone behind the pulpit. It's about carrying the pulpit to the platform that no one knows about. If you'll do that at seven and nine years old, man, God's got a huge plan for you when you're thirty and forty years old. If you'll do the things that no one sees, you can do it. It's not, and I know this is going to sound mean, but I grew up in that. I grew up in that church. And I know for a fact all the times my mom had us vacuuming that sanctuary. I remember all the times we cleaned those bathrooms. And I know for a fact that a lot of the favor of God we have now in our life is because we learned to serve as kids growing up in the church. You can find a place for the kids to serve if you really want to. Even if they sit on the front row and just watch you serve, that's doing more than just saying, no, shut up. They sit over there because if you just teach them, this is what a servant is. This is what we always have leadership classes. We don't have servanthood classes, though. Because everyone wants to be a leader. Everyone wants to be in charge. Everyone wants to do their own thing. And ultimately, when it's coming to greatness, God looks for servants. And God said about David, I chose him. I chose my servant David from the sheepfold. No one even knew who he was, but he was serving his dad. He was serving the family. He served the king. He served his brothers. He served discontented, distressed, all kind of crazy people. By the way, I'm learning this, and dad's told me this for 40 years, but pastoring is nothing but serving. I thought it was, you know, something totally different. It's not at all. Uh, anyway, yeah getting a new phone number soon. So, but like, I, I, I'm, I'm literally doing this. I'll, I'll close with this. I'm, someone called me the other day and told me this brilliant idea. He said, do you believe God's going to give you hundreds of people or thousands of people? I said, of course I do. He said, then you need a pastor like a church of a thousand. The whole church does not need your cell phone number. He said, what do you mean? He said, because if you want to stay small, he said, have everybody have access to you 24-7. That's the sign of a church that needs to grow up. If you have to call pastor every day, text him every day about something, and you get offended if he doesn't respond, that's the sign you're not a servant. You're still a child. You're still a baby. So guess what I'm doing this week? 
going to change my phone number. I'm not going to hand it out to everybody in the church because guess what? If they get offended, they need to learn to serve. I'm going to connect them to other leaders in the church and I'm going to tell the leaders, here's what you do if they do this or do that. But guess what? For us to grow, I have to distance myself from being accessible in every single person's life about every single thing they're going through. That's how you grow. Have to be secure enough to not have to to not micromanage every detail. That is how we grow. All right, brother Playo, I don't know what Dad left. So uh, questions, comments, concerns. I'm sure there's a lot of concerns. Well, we have to do it if we're going to grow. No, no. Oh, and the people that think it does, they're the ones that show up with their attitude, sit on their row, sit on their pew, think churches happen the way they are. They're not at outreach. They don't come to any classes. They're not. They usually don't pay their tithes. There's all. There's, there's there's a there's a group of people that always think you know this is just. Church just starts when they arrive, they sit down in their pew. They don't have any clue of the work that went on behind the scenes to make the church service even happen. And because we've been trained that once you get a few people that will help you do it, you stay right there and you just trust those few 10 people and then everyone else is kind of on the outside. That's not that's that's the secret to being small. If you want to have a large church, you've got to take those 10 and teach them how to train 10 more and teach those how to train 10 more. And ultimately, you spread it out further and further and further until everybody's got a servant mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. It's true. No, no. Mm -mm. Jesus only had 12. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. There it is. And that takes security on leadership because... If they do something wrong and all of a sudden, well, I'm just going to step in and take over again. That's that's, again, a lack of training. But, but, but the secret to killing a pastor is making him do everything and making him be involved in everything. The same five people caused me 99 percent of the stress I have in, in this church. It's the same five people. It's, it's a cycle. It's the same. One needs money. He's always offended. One's always starting fires, accusing everybody in the church of something. One's always one's always getting into everybody else's business and trying to counsel people and stirring them up and making them leave. It's, it's there's five people and they do 99% of the trouble in this church. And guess what? They all want to come to me and my wife as soon as they can about every little thing. 
And it's the that's that's the that is, it's not that the pastor's trying to say I'm better than you and you don't deserve my phone number. He's trying to make the vision come to pass. And if you have to have him or her, his, his wife, for every little thing in your life that's upsetting you, you need to back up and realize you're not spiritually mature as you think you are because you are still depending on help. I have one guy that literally called me Cain three weeks ago. Yes. He referred to me as Cain. He was so mad that I stopped giving him money after the 40th time. He now called me Cain. Then he said it was my fault he lost his job. Then it was my fault that he lost his truck. It was my fault that he lost his kid. This is all in the last few weeks. And it's my fault he got fired again this last week. And finally, the point where I had to block him because he was so vicious. He said, you only want to be my pastor for tithes. The only problem is he's been there nine months and paid tithes one time. It was $7 and it didn't go through. So we know that that's not what I want. But it was his attitude. People like that, people like that, that you have to have the pastor's attention about every little thing wrong. You don't even know it. And I, I, help me, Holy Ghost. But you are the very vessel hell is using to wear your pastor out. You're never encouraging him or her, and you're constantly bringing up trouble. You are the weak link, and you need to learn to serve. Because you're the one that's they're going that they're not they're not they're losing sleep over that they're on their date talking about you instead of their family they're talking about you instead of the future they're talking about you instead of other leaders in the church they're trying to fix you over and over and over if they keep having to fix you look in the mirror stop blaming them and everybody else and fix yourself and grow up and become a servant and give that's how you change. Offended people are the hardest people to pastor because they only bring you the most recent offense, where they where they got it from. And usually people that are offended at pastors all the time, it's a dad issue. Nine times out of ten times out of ten, it goes back to dad. And people that are offended at the church all the time, it's usually a mom issue. It's because the church is the bride, the mother of us all. And 99 times out of 100, when someone's always mad at pastors, this pastor did me wrong, that pastor did me wrong, now this pastor's doing me wrong, now you're doing me wrong, go back and just, they're only going to give you the most recent ones. But go back all the way when they were a kid. Their dad. That's the, they're, they're mad at their dad. They never got over it. And they just transfer the offense. I'm getting off this, my subject. They just transfer the offense to the spiritual authority because they can't take it on, on their natural authority anymore. Same thing. You love pastor, but you hate everybody else in church. Go back to your relationship with your mother because it's all rooted there. But the, the, the biggest problem is this. You're not serving. Or if you're serving, you're wanting, you're not getting enough attention. I'm not recognized for what I do. I'm not, I'm not recognized. You're not a servant. Servant does not serve to get the platform. They do not serve to get noticed. They serve because there's a need and they want to be there in the battle with the rest of the army. That's a servant. So if you're getting offended over your lack of recognition for serving, you're still not a servant. You're a competitor. True. I know who they are here. Well, you, they're here. They're definitely here. Yeah. 
Right. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's the only way. We had one pastor last week tell us, he said, I'm so frustrated. He said, I went to this Bible quizzing thing. It was a really big church building. He said, one of my saints was with me. And my saint said, I'm so glad we have a small church. I would not want to be in a church this big at all. And he said, that's why I don't want to pastor these type of people. He said, because they literally think my parking spot, my chair, my pew, my, you know, my people, my clique I hang out with. And it's it's the small church mentality, it's a small church syndrome. And if someone sits in your chair and you get offended, you are not a servant at all. You're not there for the right reason. You know, it's just reality. Servants are not looking well. They parked in my spot. Don't they know that I parked here for 27 years? Yeah, and that's why you're not growing because you're still parking the same spot. So if you just try to move your car, maybe that would be the thing you would probably, God would help you. Oh my goodness, I'm growing in the Lord. I moved my car. But that's just literally how people think sometimes. Like the, the mindset is so, it's so, Messed up. We had one guy in our church, and I'm I'm glad Dad's not there. I'll say this because I can say, uh, one guy in our church. He married a girl. He married a lady in our church, and uh, he just moved down here. And he was he's a minister, and he was very condescending in his tone to me every time he talked to me. It was it was hey young man, uh, and and not pastor or not even brother Herring, just young man. He's about 15, 16 years older than me, but every time he spoke to me, he would wait until a crowd of people. He'd say hey young man. And he would start doing it just in a, in a degrading way. And every time I'd go to snap him, God would say, no, 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 no. And so I waited and I waited. And finally, I was walking up to church one night. A bunch of people were outside the building. And I saw him and the Holy Ghost said, now. And I said, okay. Because he's going to say it to you. I said, okay. So I walked up and he said, hello, young man. I said, I think you mean pastor. And he stopped. He said, did I offend you? I said, you don't offend me. I said, you're you're setting a bad example with your offended spirit to everybody and your insecurity. And so he backed down, changed, ended up having to save his marriage from divorce three weeks later because there was all kind of stuff going on. The point is this. Don't let, don't let that. He was out there holding a sign like he was serving. He wasn't serving. He was he had a bad spirit. Don't get a bad spirit. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Your speech, your speech will reveal if you're a servant or not. It will reveal it if you are if you are condescending to others and you talk down and you jab at your pastor's wife or brother Plail or brother Stacy or sister Plail, sister Mist, and you make comments and you jab. You better be careful because you're revealing through your speech. I'm not here to serve. And let me just say this as a pastor: anyone that shows up and says I'm not here to serve, I mark you in the spirit. You could be an enemy before this is over. Because if you're if you're not going to serve while we're on the battlefield, what are you going to do? Snitch. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do something crazy, and because a servant has your back. If you don't have my back, I'd rather know now than when we're in the heat of the battle and you turn. We have seen that in this very church. We've seen people flip the script, and we've seen people. We had a family leave last week. They left. They've been mad for two and a half months. And they were mad because we asked the, the lady to, to serve in the Sunday school department because she had a kid. And she said, I don't do that. I only sing on the platform. 
and I sing, and that's my gift, and that's where I serve in the church. And I said, well, you're done singing. And uh, and they, she held as long as she could, and she and she left her husband and said, you either choose me or the church, and he had to choose her, and he left, and the kid left, all because she didn't want to serve in the church. But I thank God. I'd rather find out nine months in who my scaffolding is and who my building is. I want to know who the scaffolding are and who the and who the foundation are. I want to know who who's there, you know, come hell or high water, and then who's there a little bit, and who's the Judas in the room that's going to stab me in the back as soon as I take a step toward the enemy. I want to know if you're with me to all the. It's kind of like this: John's going to be at the cross with you. Peter's going to be there at Gethsemane. Judas is going to kiss you on the cheek at the very beginning of it all. There's three types of people as a leader you have to deal with. You have those that are going to go all the way with you to the end. Those are going to go part of the way and you have to go find them and restore them and get them back on track. And those that are going to turn you in as soon as they can. And you have to learn who they are. And so do yourself a favor. Don't be a Judas. Don't be like Peter. Be John. Go all the way. I'm here to serve it all the way. Take me to the cross. Let me be there throughout. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. Yes, sir. You know, the, one of the greatest uh, illustrations of that, is that Brother Lance? Uh, one of the greatest illustrations of that, Brother Lance, is when uh, Jesus called the woman that came for her daughter's healing a dog. He said, you're, you're a dog. And she said, she said, truth, Lord. She didn't say that's true. She said, that's true, Lord. What you just told me, even though you rebuked me, does not change my view of you. And my and my position with you. She could have said that's true and walked away. But she said truth, Lord, meaning I still serve you. I still submit to you, even though you just rebuked me. That's a servant. A servant is reliable even when their feelings are hurt. A servant is reliable even when they get crushed. A servant is reliable even when they, they're right and they get misunderstood. Hard. It's hard. Hey man, yes sir. Yes, so good, bro. And 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 they have performers have to be challenged. We we have a, and and because like we had a group of guys showing up to to set up in the morning, 
And we had one guy that was telling me he was there serving in the morning. But what he didn't know was I was getting there before he was telling everyone in the church he was there serving. But what he didn't know is I was getting there before anyone was getting there. I was pulling the stuff out. And he he was he thought that I thought he was showing up with the rest of the guys plugging all the cables in. But the problem was I was there pulling it all out and I knew who was showing up. And so when I started acknowledging the servants, I didn't name him. And afterwards, he said, you know, I, I do come. I said, yeah, you come after it's done. After the work is done, you wait. And when other people are showing up to church, then you are busy on the platform doing stuff like you're serving. But guess what, homie? I was there in the dark. And so was the other guys. And you weren't there. You're only doing this in the light because you're performing. You're competing. And you're, that's an Absalom spirit that says, I want everyone to think I really love you and I'm really doing this and I'm such a servant. No, you want the throne. He later admitted to having to repent for posing as pastor and acting like pastor to people because he was trying. That's what his real motive was. His motive was, I want to pull the people to me and let them see me serving. That's not a servant. That's Absalom. He sat at the gate and kissed the men on the cheek and said, the king doesn't care, but I care about you. I love you. The king had built that kingdom and cared for those guys, protected them. But Absalom said, no, no, I, I'm the one who really cared. Absalom shows up late. Absalom is there to get the glory, is there for, to, for recognition, and looks like such a servant. But when it's 7.30 in the morning, he's not there. Nah, nah, he's sleeping. Because there's no crowd watching at 